Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So the bye week is basically over, and it's almost time to see the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen play football again. So if absence made the heart grow fonder, then you're probably feeling really good about Bill's Packers this upcoming week. But we got some stuff to talk about. And as per usual, the bye week is an opportunity for self-reflection. And so I did that. I wrote an article for buffalorumblings.com where I specifically talked about scoring being down around the league but it not really applying to the Bills and diving into why potentially that is. So we're going to go through that. We've got some other narratives we're going to go through. So let's get started. So 2022 hasn't quite provided as many points to NFL fans as they're used to seeing. Through seven weeks, the league is averaging 43.4 total points scored per game, which is the lowest since 2010. Yahoo Sports wrote an article where they attempted to get the root cause of the drop. They identified two potential items as causes. Number one, the lack of preseason participation. And number two, the decreased completion percentage of deep throws leading to fewer big play touchdowns caused by an increase in the presence and prevalence of cover two, cover four, and cover six, all middle-of-the-field open coverages that are designed to help limit big plays in the passing game. So for reference, the Bills scored 29.8 points per game in 2021. Thus far in 2022, they're scoring 29.3 points per game, so almost identical. So whatever the causes are of the league-wide scoring erosion, they don't seem to be affecting our beloved Buffalo Bills. So let's go through those items that they listed in the Yahoo Sports column, and let's see if they apply to the Bills. Let's see if we can isolate something different about our team than the remainder of the league. So first off, the Bills did not play their starters in the first or third preseason game this year. They had Josh Allen play in the second game against the Denver Broncos. He played six plays in one series through a touchdown pass and then spent the rest of the game cheering on Case Keenum. So that's not it. There was some concern about the Bills not playing their starters enough on offense in the preseason. So while it may be something that is applying to other teams in the league when it comes to lack of preseason involvement and potentially having some early rust, it doesn't seem to be applying to the Buffalo Bills. But what about the other thing? What about people playing more zone coverage? So let's go through. In week one against the Bills, the Rams played man coverage on 10.5% of their snaps, man coverage. That was their lowest mark all year, so they went zone heavy. 
in week two, the Titans played man coverage against the Bills on 33.3% of their snaps and got torched to the tune of 41 points and an early Case Keenum appearance. In week three, the Dolphins put the second lowest man coverage snap percentage of the year on the books, 42.5. The Ravens were middle of the road in man coverage snap percentage against the Bills, 32.6. But, file this away for later, per ESPN, they played cover two on 45% of Josh Allen's pass attempts in the first half. And on those plays, Allen averaged three yards per pass. The Steelers split it right down the middle in man versus zone. 50-50. Again, right in the middle of their normal season average. The Chiefs broke the mold. They had their highest percentage of man coverage snaps of the season against the Bills. 37%. So as a whole, teams aren't running more zone against the Bills than they normally do. Now, the league as a whole is running about 4% more zone coverage this year than they did last year. But teams aren't trying to run more against the Bills than they are normally. So that's important. It's something I'm going to keep an eye on moving forward. Because if you think about it, the most success it seems like anybody's really had against the Buffalo Bills offense was first half against the Baltimore Ravens. And that was when, as previously mentioned, they ran a lot of cover too. Is it fluky? Maybe. It's one half of football. But it's something to keep an eye on. I want to see if more teams are going to start playing more and more cover two and just saying, listen, run us out of it if you want to. Do it. If you want to beat us over the head with six and a half yards of carry, we think you'll get impatient. Or we don't think you can do it. It's something to keep an eye on. So when it comes to the two main reasons outlined in the Yahoo article, the first one, the lack of preseason participation, doesn't seem to be affecting the Bills. And the second one, the increased zone, doesn't seem to be applying to the Bills as much as I think it might moving forward. So it's something to keep an eye on for the rest of the year. One of the things that is coming up because of how explosive the Buffalo Bills offense has been is whether or not Ken Dorsey is going to get head coach interviews this offseason. Peter Schrager referred to him during the interview as a hot head coaching candidate. And that might make you feel a little weird about potentially losing an offensive coordinator back-to-back years. But the way to insulate yourself against the loss of Ken Dorsey And the way you insulate yourself against the repeated loss of offensive coordinators, which is one of the main drawbacks that people list to having a defensive-minded coach. One of the first things they say is not having stability at the play caller position because your head coach is the play caller is a problem. Well, one of the ways you insulate yourself against that happening is you make it more of a Josh Allen offense that just has a different driver. The car is always Josh Allen. The second thing you can do is you can set up your drivers ahead of time. Cue them up. I think Joe Brady is someone who's probably queued up 
to be the next offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills in the event that Ken Dorsey leaves. But the way you make this work is you don't make it about the offensive coordinator. You make it about Josh Allen. It's Josh Allen's system. It's Josh Allen's terminology. And the next guy coming in is just keeping everything the same, talking to Josh, getting filled in, because you've isolated the variable. The constant in the offensive structure is Josh Allen, not the OC. So why would you build it around the variable? You would build it around the constant. And it feels like that's a little bit of what the Buffalo Bills have done. This offense has concepts in it that you're used to seeing from Brian Dable that Josh Allen likes. Allen is the constant. And if you're going to have a situation where you're constantly having your offensive coordinator be up for or potentially getting jobs and getting vultured away, number one, you're going to be able to attract good talent because everybody's going to be like, well, if I go there, I can coach Josh Allen for a year and then be a head coach. And that's awesome. But Allen is the constant. So as long as the system remains Allen-centric, then you don't have to freak out as much about the play caller shifting around. In addition, if the QB coach for Allen is always the offensive coordinator in waiting, it went Dable, then Dorsey, then Brady, then you can have this kind of chain going. You can always be thinking a step ahead and just keep churning through them. And it can remain Allen constant. So the trade deadline's coming up for the Buffalo Bills and the remainder of the NFL. And I want to make sure I say some words about trade deadline theories in general, trade deadline feelings in general, not necessarily trade targets for the Buffalo Bills. But what could be is always more fun than what is. It's like getting locked into one player in the draft or one position. If you get locked into a hypothetical of what this team could look like if they just did this, you are very likely to be disappointed. It's positioning you for disappointment. You're positioning yourself for disappointment. And expectations minus reality equals disappointment. When you're plotting out trade deadline moves, it is really important to remember that oftentimes hope saves more jobs than regular season wins. Think about when a coach gets fired mid-season, what does the statement always include from the owner? It always says that we decided to go in another direction. We want to take the team in another direction, in a new direction. They're talking about trajectory, not points. They're not talking about the stat where you are right now, this individual place. No, they're talking about whether the arrow is pointing up or pointing down. I think there's a very reasonable chance that the Indianapolis Colts win more games with Matt Ryan than they do with Sam Ellinger, but that's not what's going to save Frank Wright's job. Hope could save Frank Reich's job, even if that hope manifests itself in fewer wins than he would have gotten with Matt Ryan. So when you're looking through trade deadline deals, 
Why would that team do it? Okay, they're sellers. All right, great. Who is selling? And for what purpose? And how is it that they can achieve hope to save jobs? These are things that are important to think about when it comes to the trade deadline deal. One of the reasons I think that Kareem Hunt is going to get traded is because Kevin Stefanski winning 10 games or winning eight games, I don't think has a single bit of shred of difference when it comes to his job security. Because Deshaun Watson is suspended for 11 games. I don't think anybody is going to see Deshaun Watson with Kevin Stefanski for a couple games and go, all right, that's it, Stefanski, you're done. I don't think that's the case. I think they always knew when they got him that there was going to be a situation like this, and they're just kind of hanging on until they get Deshaun Watson back, and it was going to be a 2023 thing anyway. That's one of the reasons why I think Kareem Hunt is possibly able to be dealt. Combined with the fact that you have a front office who feels pretty secure in what they've got. Nick Chubb, they re-signed Ernest Johnson. Hunt has an expiring contract. He's 27 years old. All these things work together. But we always think about all those factors, but we don't think about the human factor of people trying to save their jobs. I would argue it's one of the most significant things that comes along with personnel moves in the NFL, but we don't think about it. People are intrinsically trying to save their jobs. And hope saves their jobs a lot more often than regular season wins do. What is it that can give my team hope? If Sam Ellinger comes out and plays well for the Indianapolis Colts, maybe our long nightmare of swapping through aging veteran quarterbacks is over. Hope. That could save his job. But he knows that sputtering to seven or eight wins with Matt Ryan was probably going to get him fired. Having six wins with Sam Ellinger might keep his job if Ellinger plays well. That's... One of the things you absolutely have to consider when you're looking at trade deadline deals. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So, We talked about scoring across the NFL, how it's down. It's not really down for the Bills, but we're keeping an eye on zone usage against the Buffalo Bills, see if teams start to go a little heavier moving forward. We talked about trade deadline, talked about some human elements to consider. And now we're going to talk about something interesting that I think I may have stumbled across while I was watching the New England Patriots Chicago Bears game. You all know that I've never been a huge Mac Jones fan. He was never someone I felt particularly threatened by when it comes to the Bills' AFC East rival New England Patriots. And as I was watching Mac Jones and I was thinking about the year he had, how people had optimism coming into this year about him potentially taking a next step, I had an epiphany. And I went and looked it up. 
And I have a take about Mac Jones last year specifically in 2021. Mac Jones in 2021 was just Kyle Orton in 2009. Seriously. So, Kyle Orton in 2009 was in an offense that was coordinated by Josh McDaniels, who was the offensive coordinator for New England last year. And he was his first year, and people thought they had unlocked something there. But allow me to read you the raw stat line comparison between Mac Jones in 2021 and Kyle Orton in 2009. Completions. Mac Jones, 352. Kyle Orton, 336. Attempts. Mac Jones, 521. Kyle Orton, 541. Completion percentage. Mac Jones, 67.6. Kyle Orton, 62.1. Yards. Mac Jones, 3,801, Kyle Orton, 3,802, Mac Jones, touchdowns, 22, Kyle Orton, touchdowns, 21, Mac Jones, interceptions, 13, Kyle Orton, interceptions, 12, Mac Jones was sacked 28 times, Kyle Orton was sacked 29 times, yards per attempt, Mac Jones, 7.3. Kyle Orton, 7.0. Adjusted yards per attempt. Mac Jones, 7.02. Kyle Orton, 6.81. Adjusted net yards per attempt. Mac Jones, 6.22. Kyle Orton, 6.18. Extremely, extremely similar. And this right here is one of the lessons that can be learned. Why on earth did people not pound the table about Kyle Orton after 2009 being someone who they thought could be the next big thing? Why did that not happen? He had a very similar year to Mac Jones in 2021. It was the assumption of improvement. That's it. That's the thing that I always talk about on this pod. That we just assume every young player is going to get better. And that's not true. Sometimes the young player gets worse. Sometimes the NFL catches up to them. Sometimes that plateau. Mac Jones has not played well this year. Kyle Orton was not talked about as a franchise savior after 2009. The discussion was about Josh McDaniels. But in 2021, Mac Jones got a lot of hype coming into 2022 with an almost identical stat line in one extra game, mind you. Why? Just because he was younger. That's it. Just because he was younger. And they made the assumption of improvement. Well, if he did that well in 2021, who knows what he'll do in 2022? It is a cautionary tale to all of us in all aspects of player development and evaluation. Not every player is going to get better. Do not assume that they will. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they get way better. Sometimes they have a Josh Allen-like leap. But it's a lot harder to take that leap when you don't have the tools 
Because remember, trades give you options. Tools give you a ceiling. Mac Jones, even the most ardent defenders of Mac Jones, would never call him a particularly toolsy quarterback. How are you supposed to get better if you don't have anywhere to go? That space to get better, that space to get improvement and to be better in 2022 than you were in 2021, that space is created by the tools that you have. And if you don't have enough of them, the odds are you're going to struggle to get better because you might be maxed out. And that was the discussion about Mac Jones coming into the NFL. Is he maxed out? Is this already the best version of Mac Jones you could possibly see? I think the answer is maybe. But it's looking pretty pretty bad for him right now. Could he turn around? Sure, of course he could. The second year is still very early for Mac Jones. But you shouldn't make the assumption of improvement. You know who else did that? Houston Texans fans and Davis Mills. Well, Davis Mills is going to be so much better. Now, he's been better than Mac Jones, for sure. In fact, you could make an argument he's been the best quarterback from the 2021 class. Yes, I know Trevor Lawrence is a thing, but he hasn't exactly been lighting up the world either. Based on actual production, you can make an argument Davis Mills has been the best quarterback from that class. Now, he doesn't have the tools that Trevor Lawrence does, which is why there's still room for people to be optimistic that Trevor could keep getting better. But the assumption of improvement has doomed another fan base to disappointment because that assumption set their expectations. And we know what expectations that are far away from reality give you. James sent me an email that I'm not going to read here, but I just wanted you to know, James, if you're listening, I got your email. I very much appreciate your kind words. Evan sent me an email and said, I got a Green Bay almighty take for you. For the second time this year, an opposing quarterback is benched in primetime after throwing a pick six, this time to Trey White in his first snap of the game in the second series for the defense after platooning with rookies opposite Dane Jackson. Josh Allen continues to show why he's not from the same planet as other quarterbacks, throwing for 400 yards and three quarters. People continue to be upset with Case Keenum, despite him having to go line up behind the scout team offense in the fourth quarter. Bills are off the bye and are going to make it everybody else's problem. 45 to nothing. Go Bills. Now, Evan sent this before Tredavious White was ruled out, so make sure you give him a little bit of slack for that. Aaron Rodgers getting benched in primetime would be one of the most shocking things about my entire football fandom. I'd be absolutely floored. Aaron Rodgers is enough of an icon in Green Bay that it, to me it would be like Tom Brady being benched. I just... I just can't see it happening. I am more likely to feel comfortable putting money on a 45 to nothing Bills outcome than Aaron Rodgers getting benched. Aaron Rodgers getting pulled in the fourth quarter because all the starters get pulled, that I'm okay with. But benched due to poor performance after throwing a pick six, I just, I, I can't, I just can't get there. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did the things. We talked about all the stuff I wanted to talk about. Hope you enjoyed the bye week episode. Hope you enjoyed talking about some narratives. And if not, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. <laughs>